13, page 621 of your Pew Bibles, and I would encourage you to turn there. This is uh, a a bit of a short sermon series here um, on some of the lessons from my sabbaticals called Pilgrim Lessons. The theme of my sabbatical was pilgrimage, going to various sites I've been desiring to go for quite some time and um, spending time in prayer and, and the reading of God's word and worship in each of those places, including um, many churches, 16 churches during the course of those 11 weeks. And um, tonight, we'll be, uh, I'll be sharing with you some of the lessons that the Lord taught me through his word and spirit as I spent time in the Durham Cathedral. Last week's message brought us to Newcastle, a city in northern England near the border of Scotland, not far from where, um, where Tim will be going. And that was stop number one on my uh, sabbatical where I was cycling with my dad from northern England and Newcastle down to the city of York. And so from Newcastle, uh, we began cycling to three other cathedral cities, uh, Durham, Ripon, and then at the end was York. And so 17 miles south of Newcastle is the city of Durham. And you can see an image of what Durham looks like. Uh, I have a longer preface to my passage this evening than I normally do, but I want to explain the context before we get into the passage. There you saw this image this morning in my sabbatical report. Spectacular Durham Cathedral. And you can see the castle of Durham on the left, um, the bridge over the, uh, the river both down below, and this amazing cathedral, um, one of the largest in England, uh, in Durham. And so one of the, the lessons that I gained um, in Durham was hearing stories of the highs and lows of the church through the ages, where there are these high moments where faithful ministers and priests are sharing the gospel, and then there are low moments in the history of the church as well, where the leadership of the church was immensely corrupt. And that is the case in Durham, just like it's the case in many other cities throughout the world. Um, Durham became an extremely influential city. Actually, the bishop of Durham had his own army. And in fact, the bishop of Durham's army was stronger and more impressive than the army of the king of England, actually, even for a while. And so if that sounds a little bit strange... It should sound strange to us because, of course, um, in ecclesial matters, there would be uh, no need for a a literal army that a church would be wielding. But that is what ended up happening in Durham in the high Middle Ages. And so um, that's just one of the stories that came from traveling in this this great city and, and, and touring that great cathedral. But there were also some high points spiritually as well in this town and in this region. Um, I gained new insight into one of the heroes of the faith that I previously had known basically nothing about. I referred to him in my report this morning. Um, One of the heroes of the faith was named Bede, B-E-D-E, Bede. And he was now referred, he's referred to now as the Venerable Bede. He lived in this area from the year 672 to 735. He died in the year 735, and he is buried in the Durham Cathedral. His body was moved to a town called Jero, where he lived, to the Durham Cathedral in about the year 1000, so he's been buried there for about a thousand years. 
And sometimes I wondered if that's actually true. Like, you look at this tomb, and is his body really in there? And it actually was exhumed in the year 1833, and there was a skeleton there of a humble man without um, jewels and so forth that is certainly believed to be the actual body of the venerable Bede. And so he was a monk who studied history and theology. One of his claims to fame is he popularized the term A.D. for dating, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And he was so influential that a modern historian called him the greatest historian since Herodotus. So his body has been buried there about a thousand years. And in the Anglican and Roman Catholic traditions, there's a feast day for each saint. And it just so happened that the day that I was touring this cathedral was the feast day of the Venerable Bede. And he is buried there, so they they had a, a really nice service, worshiping the Lord, celebrating his life. And so it was a powerful time of worship in the cathedral there. And to conclude that service, where it, which happened in the large area of the cathedral, we all got up and then we went into the tomb where he is buried. You could see there the, uh, the grave site of the Venerable Bede. And you can see there um, on, the, on the wall are some words, and I'll read those words later, so don't strain your eyes um, wondering about what's written there. Some of the the teaching of the Venerable Bede about the glory of Christ and and the second coming of Jesus and how amazing that will be. And so we sang the doxology right there, thanking the Lord for inspiring the great work of a servant who lived 1,300 years ago. And all that leads into the scripture text of Psalm 145 today. As I'm reading, pay attention to the promise of God's everlasting kingdom and how one generation will commend to the next the works of the Lord. One generation following after another, uh, praising God by proclaiming his great works. So all that's a preface to our passage. And before I read, I want to read a prayer written by the Venerable Bede, a prayer of illumination. So let's bow our heads and pray. Open our hearts, O Lord, and enlighten our minds by the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may seek what is pleasing to your will and so order our doings after your commandments that we may be found ready to enter into your unending joys through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's read Psalm 145, 1 through 13. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. 
to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage, Psalm 145, describes people who love the Lord. It describes people who know God. It describes what people will do when they remember what God has done. They can't help but keep it inside. They have to praise God. They have to share about God's mighty works. They have to talk about God's everlasting kingdom. The mission of the church is to serve as witnesses to the world's to the world of God's greatness, his grace, and his steadfast love. That's what we were told to do at the beginning of the book of Acts in my last sermon series, that you will be witnesses to go and share the message of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And Psalm 145 certainly has more than a little of that encouragement towards being a witness of God's great work. Psalm 145 tells us to make known to the children of man the mighty deeds of God and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. The Lord is faithful in all his works and uh, words and kind in all his work. And so when David wrote these words, he was likely thinking of God's faithfulness through the generations of the patriarchs and how even those generations that we don't know all that much about in between Abraham and Moses and David were commending to the next generation the mighty works of God. Today we can see that God was faithful to keep his covenant promises with Abraham and Moses and David and that God continues to keep his covenant Faith, uh, promises faithfully to us in the church as well. As recipients of the New Testament and the New Covenant, we can see even more clearly than those saints in the Old Testament the mighty deeds of God and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. That kingdom is ruled by the risen Christ. The kingdom of God is directly governed by the Spirit of Christ. The gates of Hades have not prevailed against it, and will not prevail against it. Haven't we seen that through church history time and time again? And as citizens of the great kingdom of God, we proclaim the gospel, which is the announcement of Jesus' resurrection and his reign over sin and over death. Each generation that has followed after the ministry of Christ commends the work of Christ to the next. We talk about what Jesus has done. We talk about his nature, his works, his promises. We talk about what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection. We remind one another simple truths. He forgives our sins. He secured everlasting life for everyone who believes. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He loves us and equips us to love other people in his name. Basic truths of the faith handed down from one generation to another. Our passage says the mission of every generation is to proclaim the works of God. So we might ask sometimes, it's a good question, is this happening? 
Is this generation commending to the next the great work of God through Jesus Christ? This might sound a little strange for me to say this, but I don't actually think you need that much faith to see that God is faithful to his promise that he will preserve the church from one generation to the next. Why would I say you don't need that much faith? Because when you open your eyes, you see it everywhere. When you open your eyes, when you study church history, when you learn about what's happening in the church throughout the world today, the evidence of God's faithfulness is everywhere. The problem isn't so much that God is only giving small hints of his faithfulness. The problem is far more so that we're not looking for it as much as we should be. When you open your eyes to church history, to the great stories of men and women who trusted Jesus, you will see that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You will see that the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. One of the dangers of viewing the Christian faith individualistically is that if we think only about ourselves so often, we might be tempted when we see that God isn't fulfilling all his promises like it feels like he should be to us all the time. And of course, he always is, but when we're so wrapped up in our feelings and what's happening in our local congregation, we can lose sight of God's faithfulness to his church throughout the world. And so the individualistic person or the individualistic church is so focused on ourselves and our church that it would be maybe easy at times in our time of temptation and doubt to find some promise that we think that God has forgotten about. Of course, he's never forgotten any of his promises, always faithful to fulfill them. But when we become so individualistic and self-absorbed, self-focused, we can lose sight of how God is faithful to his promises to other people, to his promise to the church throughout the world, to his promises to, to other churches um, right in our area as well. One that comes to mind is that, that God is, faith, is going to be faithful to his promise that his church will be a fruitful church when we are connected to the vine that is Christ. So somebody would say, maybe look at our church, Ammon Valley, and say, is this church just bursting with new believers? Well, not right now, no. There are some who are coming to faith through our ministry. But if we look only at what's happening in our church, we could be tempted to falsely think that God is not faithful to his promise. It wouldn't be true. But when we expand our view to the worldwide church, we see that God's kingdom is expanding to the ends of the earth. Hearing stories of India and more than a million new believers in India last year. And so we see when we expand our view that God is faithful to his promise that all those who are rooted in the vine that is Christ will bear much fruit showing ourselves to be his disciples. So, not only do we have the Holy Catholic Church proclaiming God's grace and faithfulness today, what God is doing today, when we open our eyes and see his mighty works, but when we look back through church history, our faith is further bolstered against that doubt. We not only ask, is God faithful today, but we should be asking, how has God been faithful through every generation. That's what this passage is encouraging us to look for. One generation will call to the next the works of God. So the psalmist gives a resounding yes to that question of whether or not God is faithful. 
Church history also confirms that God's mighty work of drawing people to himself through Christ continues and is increasing throughout the world. So during that worship service that I mentioned, where we celebrated the life of a monk who lived in the 7th century, what struck me most during that service was how similar the Christian faith of this monk in northern England was to the faith that we proclaim and hold on to today. It is truly amazing how similar it was in the quotes that they were reading from the Venerable Bede during that service. He loved to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loved the scriptures to study the Bible and even was working on an English translation of the book of John when he died. A very revolutionary idea in the 7th century. was working on translating the, the scriptures into English, the vernacular of the common people when he died. The Venerable Bede loved the Spirit and the Spirit's work and how he relied on the Spirit. He loved the Lord's Prayer and to teach the Lord's Prayer. So I want to share with you some quotes and, uh, from the Venerable Bede, and I do so as what I think is a fulfillment of what God says should be happening in Psalm 145. One generation, you know, in the 7th century, calling out to this generation even today in the 21st century about the mighty works of God. So an example of this is um, the Venerable Bede wrote a letter to the Bishop of York, Um, Bishop Egbert, and it seemed that they were friendly with one another. I I read the whole letter this past week. It was uh, an amazing letter, and the Bishop of York is wondering how to do ministry, and the Venerable Bede was really regarded as a saintly man, a wise man, and so he wrote this, this in the letter, among other things. He really gave first a warning against being materialistic as priests. And so he, he gave a long warning about, don't expect payment, you're doing the work of the Lord, so just go and baptize people, preach the word of God, go care for people, don't worry so much about whether or not you get paid for it. <laughs> and so um, along with that, he wrote this, and see if this sounds similar to what a minister or priest should be expected to do today. He wrote, it is necessary that you appoint others to assist you in the holy work by ordaining priests and nominating teachers who may be zealous in preaching the word of God in every village and celebrating the holy mysteries and especially by performing the sacred rites of baptism wherever opportunity may offer. And in setting forth such preaching to the people, I consider it above every other thing important that you should endeavor to implant deeply in the memory of all men the Catholic faith which is contained in the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer as it is taught us in the Holy Gospel. I mean, the eighth century, 1,200 years ago. It's the same ministry that we undertake in our congregation that every true church throughout the world, throughout the ages, has undertaken. Now remember, what did David write in Psalm 145? One generation shall commend your works to another. That's the Apostles' Creed. It's the work of God. We believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator. We believe in Jesus Christ his only begotten Son, and all that he accomplished, we believe in the Holy Spirit and all that he continues to do in the church. We meditate on the glorious splendor of the majesty of God, on his wondrous works. They shall speak of the might of his awesome deeds, and we will declare his greatness. A simple, straightforward Christian ministry. Bede's most 
remembered quote came from his commentary on the book of Revelation. And see if this passage from a priest in northern England who, who never traveled more than about 50 miles in his life sounds like something that we would also believe today. This is the most famous quote that's on the, the wall near his grave. He wrote, Christ is the morning star who, when the night of this world is past, brings to his saints the promise of the light of life and opens everlasting day. You know, just, just hearing those words, I, I had goosebumps in, in that place. Um, not just because those words are true, and not just because that's what I believe, but because this is the holy Catholic faith that the Lord has, has protected and nurtured so that it would grow and be, be, um, be kept throughout each generation. That's the passage written on the wall next to his grave. And it was so powerful to worship the Lord right there. By worshiping and putting our faith in Jesus, we were part of the fulfillment of God's promise that he will keep for himself a church. He will keep for himself a people. That God will keep for himself saints drawn out of the world in every generation. That's what we believe according to the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 54. You see those words on the screen. I hope you enjoy me, uh, join me in reading them responsively. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life, and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. Amen. Now, just as I close, two words of application for this principle of one generation proclaiming the works of God to another. First, I want to uh, recognize how this can go wrong at times and how I appreciate it happened at the worship service that I went to. I appreciated the Anglican tradition that the Venerable Bede was not worshipped or prayed to during that service. When we gathered around his tomb, we prayed to the Lord. We worshipped the Lord. We sang to the Lord. We did not ever pray to the Venerable Bede, which would be idolatry. And so um, we can celebrate the life of a saint from previous generations, and we ought to. It's good for us to learn what has happened in church history. But I, I, I was listening for it, and I, I never heard it. Um, the service was led in such a way that we appreciated him deeply. We thanked the Lord for his great work, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for life everlasting. But we never prayed to him, and a Christian ought not pray to a saint To pray to him would have been idolatrous. So while we appreciate the previous generation's work and how the Lord's been faithful, I do think a a Christian always should be careful never to pray, never to offer up any sort of worship which would include prayer to, um, to any saint or person besides Christ, of course. So the biblical way to embrace the Holy Catholic Church is to celebrate the testimonies of the saints, to remember them and honor them, to honor our father and mother is is part of 
Um, part of obeying that command is to, to read their works and to praise God for, the, for their works, but never to pray to saints, which is a form of worship and God alone throughout all the scriptures, is, ought to be the only recipient of our prayers. I appreciated that in the Anglican tradition, how we did not pray to him, and we should not pray to a saint. Second application, and this is uh, maybe one that's more encouraging, um, was just the sense that I got in that place that I am not alone. I'm not alone in my ministry. I'm not alone in my Christian life. That there was a spirit of kinship, of fellowship, and of community through Jesus Christ. As we were worshiping God in that beautiful cathedral, I was so struck by not just my connection to the Lord through the Spirit, but my connection to other saints in that place in that day, but also other saints who had gathered in that cathedral over the last 1,000 years, being the, the great cloud of witnesses. Of course, you don't want to get too superstitious, thinking that the spirits of the saints are hovering around the cathedral. We would never want to fall into that, with, um, that false teaching. But there was a real spirit of humility in that, recognizing I'm a small part of God's huge plan. That's partly what you get by going to these massive cathedrals, is just experiencing their grandeur and recognizing the glory of God is so much greater than than even this beautiful building, and the church is so much greater and so much larger and so much more everlasting than this cathedral that has spanned through many generations, over a thousand years. And so, to go and worship among other believers and to read church history is to recognize that when you are in Christ, you are and always will be a member of a, a living member of the community of saints, the communion of saints, that Jesus gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life. And so traveling and worshiping with diverse congregations will expand our view of what God has done and is doing throughout the Holy Catholic Church. Like the Venerable Bede, our calling is simple. We make known to the children, to, we make known to children and the next generation God's mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of his kingdom, that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures through every generation. Amen.